Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 13 Weeks of Halloween. <laughs> Hello, Sam Baxter. <laughs> Hello, Pussy Wiles. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Why are you so great? <laughs> it might be because it's Halloween this weekend. It is Halloween this weekend. It is our favorite time of year. Uh, we are so excited to have you guys back and welcome to another episode of My Spooky Gay Family. This is in some ways a little bit sad because the 13 weeks of Halloween are coming to an end. I don't know why this year it went so fucking fast. Yeah, no, I I feel like it was August 5th like yesterday. I know. And it's gone by. So I I feel like we've had so much fun doing the 13 weeks of Halloween with you guys that uh, we it just goes by so fast. But we are on the final week of the 13 weeks of Halloween. and, and we've got an amazing show planned for you guys. Don't worry. But before we get into it, uh, how's your how's your week going? Are you enjoying the, the build up to Halloween? I am. I'm getting a little nervous about the weather because it looks like it might rain. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. So 2021 is worse than 2020. <laughs> we finally get Halloween back and it's like, I'm going to rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's on a weekend. You oh. had plans. Let's wait for it to be a beautiful Halloween until it's a Monday. How about yeah, that? We'll make it exactly. a Monday. <laughs> no, so it might rain. It might not. Um, well, hopefully it won't. Oh, let's let's yeah. put it out into the universe. It's not going to rain on Halloween. We're going to have a beautiful, wonderful, spooky Halloween with uh, crisp air and clear skies. That's what I'm putting into the universe. I second that completely. Um, I'm also very excited for Halloween. I basically have arranged, I try very hard because as you know, drag queens are very in demand around this time of year. I have tried very hard to, uh, leave this weekend mostly open for myself. I do have, uh, a gig on Friday and I'm, I'm technically working today while you're all listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so far, I have been able to maintain my Saturday and Sunday so that I can enjoy Halloween by myself. Uh, well, not by myself, but without <laughs> without anyone in a club. So I am really looking forward to this weekend. I'm looking forward to not dressing up <laughs> <laughs> for Halloween this year. I'm going to uh, watch some scary movies. I'm going to cook some some delicious food. I might... Give myself a candy treat or two just mm-hmm. to, uh, I don't know, feel special. It's Halloween. You can't go, you can't have Halloween without candy. Sam will come and kill me. <laughs> He'll be like, I brought a lollipop. You better eat that fucking Reese's. Um, so yeah, I do have some, I have some relatively fun plans for this weekend. I'm, I, it's mostly watching horror movies because I have 
Saturday off, mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I would normally... Normally on Halloween, I wake up, I watch movies all day, and I go to bed. And we visit Carrie and Luke, and right. you and I hang out, and we do... we eat candy and have a good time but i'm going to extend that into saturday i'm going to make saturday a halloween movie day halloween eve halloween eve i might even uh make saturday a haunted house day david and i were talking about possibly going to um uh oh god i can't remember the name of it oh i can't remember there's a haunted house in um uh, Clifton, New Jersey, uh, that I was thinking of of bringing David to because it's one of my favorites. Actually, Adam Bashian, who is a friend of the pod, um, is the one who... It's Brighton Asylum. Brighton Asylum in okay. Clifton, New Jersey. It's one of the best haunted houses I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really spooky, really scary, uh, and absolutely a good time. So... I I am I'm going to see if I can snag some tickets Saturday night. Okay. And uh and we'll see. I haven't I haven't made up my mind yet. You're like it's Thursday, you should get it together, girl. <laughs> um but yes, we uh we do have some fun plans for Halloween. What are you and Sarah doing? Um we're going over to Carrie and Luke's and we're setting up our display and carving. Well, what's the display and... this year? Uh the theme was gothic. We're doing a graveyard. Mm. So Sarah has been hard at work for the last three weeks making tombstones. Tombstones. <laughs> and I have been doing nothing because it's my job to take care of the pumpkins. <laughs> so, what, uh, when are you going to go get the pumpkins? Um, it is the Thursday before Halloween. So we're probably going tomorrow. That you'd better watch out. Those pumpkins will run away on you. Um <laughs> I'm excited to see your pumpkins. I would love to do a jack-o'-lantern this year. I haven't done a jack-o'-lantern in years. I think I might carve one and put it in my window. Do it I up. think that's I think that's my goal this this Halloween. No, jack-o'-lanterns are like the best part of Halloween for me. So I I love jack-o'-lanterns. I don't know if they're the best part, but they are certainly one of my favorite parts. Um, I love jack-o'-lanterns. I I might put up a few spooky decorations. Maybe I'll put some of the candles from our uh watch alongs out <laughs> and just make my <laughs> just make my apartment look really spooky um and speaking of we might have a watch along coming to you in the very near future so if you're not already subscribed on patreon.com you should do it um patreon.com slash my spooky gay family ding whoop there she goes it's halloween um but i'm going to cut our discussion short today for good reason for good reason because we have a very very special episode for you today um i'm sure you all have been hearing about elvira mistress of the dark because cassandra peterson really recently came out as queer she has been in a 20-year relationship (laughs) with a with a woman uh and has been making headlines uh after she uh announced this in her brand new book yours cruelly uh, the memoirs of the mistress of the dark. She is uh, a qu- a queer horror icon. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know. Uh, she, I, I don't know how icon. to give her the appropriate introduction. She's an everyone icon. She's just an icon. She is an icon. She is a horror icon. She's a comedy icon. She is a a former member of the groundlings she is uh, a comedian she is a spokesperson she is a 
uh, an actress. She is a musician. She is a former Las Vegas showgirl. And she is beloved by the queer community, uh, obviously, because she's sexy, she's funny, she's campy, she's spooky, all of our favorite things. So we thought today we would chat about, um, well, a lot of things related to Elvira, but we thought we'd start the conversation with a friend of hers. Mm-hmm. We're going to bring in the director of the 2001 cult classic movie, Elvira's Haunted Hills. His name is Sam Irvin, and he is uh, a friend of mine and David's, and he's absolutely the sweetest, most wonderful guy, uh, super funny, super talented. To, uh, Elvira's Haunted Hills, like I said, is a, is a classic. Do you remember the first time you saw Elvira's Haunted Hills? Um, it was very shortly after it came out. Uh, it was like- the same for me. Yeah. It is oddly child appropriate. Yeah. Even though it's like, (laughs) there's a lot of sexual euphemism and murder, but it's like, it's like good family fun. It's it's funny murder. (laughs) Funny murder and funny sexy. Yeah. Uh, So I would say this is probably good for any kid like 10 plus. Yeah. I, 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 I may be younger than that. Maybe not, but like, I don't know, by the age of 10 you don't see any boobs, but there's some grabbing of boobs. Uh, I mean, it's an Elvira. Movie. It's an Elvira movie. Yeah. So, and there's like sexual innuendo, but there's no overt sexuality. So, I would say ten plus, you're probably good to watch this movie. I saw probably this. Won't get most of the jokes, but yeah, they might go over your head, but uh, it's still a good experience. It's a good experience. I would say everyone should watch this movie because it is being re-released with a special edition on Blu-ray. Uh, now it just came out and this year is the 25th anniversary of the movie or I'm s- no, the, the 20th anniversary yeah. of, of this movie coming out. Um, and so we thought it would be fun to chat with Sam Irvin about his experience directing the movie, working with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, uh, also known as Cassandra Peterson. And you have stars like Richard O'Brien and Scott Atkinson and a lot of really wonderful, wonderful actors in this movie. So I think we should, I think we shouldn't stall anymore. No. Let's bring in Sam Irvin. Enjoy kids. And this is our chat with the one and only director of Elvira's Haunted Hills, Sam Irvin. Hello, hello, kids, and welcome back. I am so excited because not only did we get to speak with uh, the amazing Cassandra Peterson this episode, we are also getting to chat with someone extremely, extremely influential in the world of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, as well as so many other TV shows and movies. He is the director of Elvira's Haunted Hills. He directed Gods and Monsters, Guilty as Charged, Dante's Cove on television, as well as Oblivion, you may know, and the sequel, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Kids, we are very, very happy to have with us the one and only, the amazing Sam Irvin. Hello, Sam Irvin. Hey, 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 Pissy and Sam. I like your name, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, she like she actually changed it just for yes. you. We were like every okay, every, every last you know the last interview we did, she was Cassandra. This episode, <laughs> she's Sam. We we like to change her around just to keep her uh, on her toes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great introduction, by the way. I want to make one tiny correction. 
Um, although I directed everything you talked about, the one that I didn't actually direct was Gods and Monsters. That was directed by Bill Condon, but I was one of the producers of that oh, one. Oh, I'm so Very sorry. My no mistake. I, 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 and listen, I'm reading at like a second grade level, so I'm doing my best with what I can. <laughs> How are you today, Sam? I'm great. I couldn't be more great this October because there's so many things happening in the world of Elvira. We've got, it's her 40th anniversary as Elvira. She just turned 70 in September. (laughs) It's the 20th anniversary of our film, Elvira's Haunted Hills. It's the 30th anniversary of my friendship with Cassandra. We met in 1991 at a party thrown by Terry Sweeney, the first openly gay cast member of Saturday Night Live. I Back love in- Terry <laughs> Sweeney. And he always used to do Nancy Reagan and drag. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I went to school at the University of South Carolina. I'm from the Carolinas with his husband, Lanier Laney. And we. so that's how I got to know Terry back in the 80s and my, hu- my husband and I used to always go to tapings of SNL and everything, and it was, it was so much fun knowing them and still know them. And then, um, and they were both writers on the show as well, and then later were writers on Mad TV. But anyway, he had this party, and I um, saw Cassandra Peterson across the way, and I was like, oh my God, Terry, you have to introduce me to her. I am absolutely <laughs> a And so he did. And he said, um, this is Sam. He just directed his first feature. It's called Guilty as Charged. And she went, oh, I just saw that film. I loved it. And if I, if I ever do another Elvira film, I want to consider you as a possible director. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And then I um, cast her in a tiny part, uh, a little cameo in my second film, Acting on Impulse. It was a Scream Queen comedy uh, that... Not not really a comedy. It was a Scream Queen thriller, but it had a lot of dark humor in it. And uh, it starred Nancy Allen, Linda Ferentino, C. Thomas Howell, Zelda Rubenstein, Paul Bartell, Mary Warnov, Isaac Hayes, just had all these incredible people. And Cassandra played a bouncer at a country western bar. <laughs> she did kind of a Dolly Parton thing with a, with a blonde wig that she had gotten from Daryl Hannah. <laughs> and um, and so we did that and had a lot of fun. And, you know, we just became social buddies over the years. And then around 1999-ish, she called me and said that she and her husband had gotten frustrated that no one would finance a, a, another Elvira movie. And they decided that they were going to finance it themselves and mortgage their house and everything. My goodness. And she said, I promised that I'd consider you as a director. So I want you to come up and meet with us. So I went there. And she handed me the script to Elvira's Haunted Hills, and she said, this is a spoof of all the Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe, Roger Corman movies. Are you familiar with those? And I'm like, Cassandra. Here is the monologue of Vincent Price at the climax of Hitting the Pendulum. Do you know where you are, Bartolome? You are about to enter hell. Hell, the Neverworld, the Infernal Region, the Abode of the Damned, the Place of Dormant, Gehenna, the Rock of the Pit, and the Pendulum, the Razor Edge of Destiny, thus the condition of man bound on an island from which you can never hope to escape, surrounded by the waving pit of hell, which must destroy him finally. Now, she looked, she cocked her head and looked at me like I was totally insane and then said, you're hired. (laughs) And 
I had actually learned that monologue when I was in junior high school for a, like a, you know, drama thing where they wanted you to do a monologue. And of course, they wanted Shakespeare or something. Mm. I'm like, I'm allergic. <laughs> I am the contaminator. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, how about Edgar Allan Poe? And they were like, okay, that sounds academic. Sure. Of course, I went home and transcribed. It wasn't Edgar Allan Poe. It was the screenwriter, Richard right. Madden, but I wasn't going to tell them. And, um, and I memorized that thing, and it has stuck with me my whole life. I got to actually do it for Vincent Price himself. Um, when I was growing up in the Carolinas, I got to meet him several times because he would come through with going on his lecture tours. I, I saw him once, well, actually a couple times in a lecture tour, and I saw him once play Fagan in a touring company of, of Oliver. So anyway, I would go to, you know, hang out as like a super fan of the stage door and, and, you know, and meet him. And after two or three times, he he knew me and remembered me by name and we started corresponding with him. And then um, just had the most incredible coincidences of running into him. I went to see when I was in London for when I was 19, 18 for my fanzine Bazaar, horror fanzine, interviewing Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, everybody, um, uh, all my horror idols. Um, I wanted to interview Diana Rigg because I loved her mm. and, Avengers, and I loved her on Her Majesty's Secret Service. But I really loved her as Vincent Price's daughter in Theater of Blood. Yes. So I was on, uh, playing uh, in, in Eliza Doolittle in Pygmalion on the West End. And so I was, I was like, okay, I'll see the play. I'd love to see her play that. But then go to the stage door after, like I always do with Vincent Price, and try to meet her, you know, when she comes out. I sit down in the theater and I hear this very familiar laugh and I turn around and it's freaking Vincent Price. And the <laughs> opens my mouth, he goes, Sam, what are you doing here? <laughs> that must and, be, it must be wonderful to be recognized for him to be like, it would be one thing if you were like, oh my God, you're Vincent Price. But he turned around and was like, hey, what are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, it, what I mean, are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. It was totally nuts. And here I am, you know, just like 18. And so I told him, well, I'm uh, here to try to meet Diana Reagan. He said, oh, well, you're coming backstage afterwards. And by the way, have you met my fiance sitting right next to me, Coral Brown, who is <laughs> in, in Theater of Blood. He kills her. She's yeah. one of the critics. And Coral and, ben, and uh, Diana Rigg had introduced them. And they fell in love on that movie. And, you know, I mean, it's just all the connections were just, it was so serendipitously crazy. I still can't get over it to this day. But at any rate, long story short, I became good friends with him. We even tried to develop a film that I was going to direct with him. And, and we, we, you know, became business colleagues and friends and everything, which was fantastic. And Cassandra became friends with him independently. And they would, you know, appear together on the Tonight Show and all sorts of stuff. So we both were gigantic Vincent Price fanatics. Oh, um, yeah. she, you know, her first experience, you know, was with a horror film was House on Haunted Hill. You know, that was life changing for her. And one of the very earliest films that I saw as a kid was Pit and the Pendulum, which, you know, which changed my life. So I can't um, imagine how that affected uh, your uh, your direction of this movie. <laughs> it, was, I mean, it was it was a dream come true, and I, I mean I've directed about forty five projects, um, and this is 
my absolute all-time favorite because it's just such an incredible labor of love. And we dedicated the film to Vincent Price and we just, you know, we just spooked the hell out of all those movies. It's our, it's our love letter to the Vincent Price Corman movies in the same way that Young Frankenstein is Mel Brooks' love letter to the Universal Frankenstein movies. Right, so, exactly. Um, it just, it's, it's our, you know, I, I'm, Oh, it's a labor of love for sure, for sure, for sure. And it clearly is when you watch the movie. It is such. It, it is clearly a love letter, especially to Edgar Allan Poe. I think you see so many of the influences throughout the movie. I yeah. uh, I watched the movie last night uh, just to you know refresh my drink because I was I was like I probably haven't seen this movie in a couple years and. It was just as funny. It was just as silly. It was just as campy as I remembered it being. I had a blast <laughs> watching it. And I mean, there's so many, even contemporary references. I mean, obviously you have the Edgar Allan Poe, you have scenes with the Raven and the Pit and the Pendulum and, and all kinds of things throughout peppered throughout the movie. But then at the very end, there's like the Ode to Titanic. And I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have the little bit of the shining when the landlord comes to the door um, at the beginning and, and uses an axe to hack through. And exactly. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I, I actually saw a lot of the influence of directors like Mel Brooks in the movie as well. It's funny you brought him up because I was like, oh. Uh, this uh, the relationship between Elvira and Zuzu reminds me of uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. The way Mina yeah. had her had her uh, her maid with her all the time, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I see the influence of other directors on on Sam and on Elvira and John for how they wrote it. It you see all of the influence, and that is the kind of project that I love because Sam and I are the same way. We're both creative people as well, and we've both written and produced and, and done things like that. And everything, everything I've ever done that I've been proud of was a love letter to something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. and, 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 and just while you're mentioning the Mel Brooks um, things, um, when they arrive at the castle, we created just this little visual gag of these two gigantic round breast shaped knockers on yeah. the door, <laughs> which is a spoof of, of young Frankenstein when, you know, what huge knockers. <laughs> it's true. And that, that influence was not lost on me at all. I, I loved every moment of it. I, all of the characters in the movie are so lovable. The movie is so campy and silly. And it's funny to me because there will be times where I read, um, I read review like like user reviews of the movie, and it's clear yeah. that it's like a young person who was not raised with that sensibility. And they're like, they're like, I don't understand this humor. And I'm like, well, it's it's Borscht Belt. It's it's so it, it it's so funny to see how humor has changed over the years. But I happen to love it. Uh, you mentioned how you met. Cassandra, and that is a crazy story, by the way. You, there are, there's so much to love about this movie. Obviously, starting with the writing of the movie between Cassandra and John Paragon, yes. were, were you involved in all at all in the uh, creation of the script and the story? Well, 
what happened, unfortunately, is that um, about, I don't know, maybe a quarter to a third of the way through writing the script, John Paragon fell off a horse and was injured really badly and was laid up and just kind of out of it and couldn't um, couldn't complete the script. So oh, Cassandra wow. had to complete it pretty much on her own. And then uh, before I was even brought in, and then she got two other groundlings that she had known, um, Doug, um, uh, Doug Cox and John Moody, to help with punching it up with more jokes and, mm. and things like that. And then um, when I came on board, you know, I was just trying to come up with all kinds of visual um, gags and things to, to add. And we would, you know, there's always compromises because of budget and geography of location. Just, you know, there's all sorts of things that um, where we would make adjustments. And so I was helping with that at night um, after shooting. We'd sit down and look at the next day thing and sort of figure out. So, you know, I have little stuff that's in there. A um, couple of examples. They would... Uh, Cassandra brought Jerry Jackson in to choreograph the musical number, for instance. <laughs> and he had worked with her when she was a Vegas showgirl from way, way, way back. And um, and so they were choreographing the number and they were trying to come up with a, a funny button for the end of it. And she was going to be wearing these red panties and turn around and flip up her dress at the very end. And that was going to be the ending. And I, when I saw the red panties, it just popped into my brain that, you know, when you see the live taping, if you're an audience member at a live taping of a TV show, they have these signs that are red with white letters that say applause and they'll pop on, you know, the light will pop on when you're supposed to applaud. And it just, I just thought, well, what is 1851? What if we had applause written on her red ass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went over to, to Cassandra and Jerry and presented the idea, and they laughed so hard. And Jerry was like, oh, my God, take your panties off right this second. She took them <laughs> off. And he literally ran with them, like holding a flag to, you know, to the wardrobe department where apparently I wasn't there, but apparently they were scrambling to cut out the letters and, and they, he was helping them sew them on and everything. And we're shooting other shots where you don't see your panties in the musical number. And, and finally he comes running back in. I got them. I've got them. And, and, uh, and she put them on and we, and we got the last shot. And it's a really funny little gag that people seem to remember. And so that was, that was really fun. And of course um, the other thing that, that um, comes to mind that we sort of improvised was we wanted Fabio for Adrian, the stable stud, and he turned it down. And we were already kind of, you know, stretching the budget to bring over as many actors as we were bringing. And so Cassandra and I said, surely we'll find a, you know, a really hunky guy in Romania. Well, when we started auditioning them, the ones who could speak English weren't hot enough. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and also, I really wanted someone with actual long hair um, because it, we didn't have money for, to get a really good wig. And wig, wigs on guys always look really wiggy to me. And I just eh, I just wanted the real deal. I wanted a real hunk who had long hair that would fit the 1851 sort of vibe. And then Gabriel Andranaki walked into the room and Cassandra and I just looked at each other and were like, 
<laughs> we were chanting, and uh, and then he opened his mouth and he couldn't speak a word of English, and and, and I was like, no, he, he, this is the guy. This is the guy. Um, and so then I just turned to Cassandra and said, you know, let's just let him do his art in Romania, and then we'll dub it badly like those Steve Reeves, you know, Italian Hercules movies. <laughs> <laughs> and and she was cracking up, and we were just like, you know, oh my god, that would be really great. And then she knew Rob Paulson, who is like one of the greatest voiceover artists of all time and just does a million cartoon voices and everything. And so in post-production, back when we got back to America, he came in and, and just filled it. It was so damn funny. And he also did the voice of the old guy who who chops his way through the door and says, here's the on. And, really? Um, yes, he did that voice. And he also, Jerry Jackson, the choreographer I'm talking about, who ran away with Annie, um, he because we were looking, we needed people who could speak English. Um, he plays the gentleman on the very last scene in the carriage who says that, the, you know, the castle, that castle was destroyed 200 years ago. <laughs> and he was not, um, Jerry, we all love him. He's a brilliant choreographer, not the greatest actor. And he was the first to admit it. And so we got Rob Paulson to, to, do a voice to completely replace his voice. And I said, can you do like Terry Thomas, the, you know, the great um, British character actor. And so that's what he was, he was, Rob was sort of impersonating Terry Thomas, his, um, his voice. So he did three voices. uh, But anyway, Cassandra and I were nervous that the, you know, having Adrian the stable stud uh, dubbed badly was a one joke thing that people, the first time it happened, you'd get a laugh. But then it would start to be a groaner, you know, because he had several scenes throughout the movie. But we we just thought it was so funny and we took the risk. And then when the film, we opened it and did a lot of midnight shows back in, in 2001. And every midnight show, Cassandra and I would go and do Q&As and stuff, introduce it and do Q&As afterwards. And we would sit through the movie and people just laughed every single time he came on the screen and he didn't even start laughing before he would open his mouth, just anticipating what was going to happen. So it was just, it, it was just one of those magical things that was born out of necessity and just was, was turned out to be great. We were, we were really, really gratified and thrilled and it, how it worked yeah, out. Yeah. It's a yeah, lot of fun to watch him. It, it, he's one of the, probably one of my favorite characters just because of that joke. Uh, yeah. And obviously there's so many people to love in this movie. You have, uh, uh, well, obviously you have Cassandra as Elvira and you also have the amazing Richard O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And Can I, you imagine? Uh, that I was mean, actually how I found Elvira because as a kid, the only queer, uh, the only queer outlet I knew of was Rocky Horror, and so yes. I loved Rocky Horror and found Rocky Horror, and I was like, oh, I love this. And then I heard Richard O'Brien was in Elvira's Haunted Hills, and I was like, oh, well, I'll watch that. And I was like, who is this? Yes. <laughs> it must no, have it, been phenomenal to direct them both. It it, it it really was. I mean, it's such an and and for those who don't know, Richard O'Brien not only plays um, Riff Raff in Rocky Horror Picture Show, he is Mr. Rocky Horror. He mm. wrote the play. He wrote the music. He wrote the lyrics. He wrote the screenplay when they did the movie. I mean, he that he 
he's the creator mastermind behind all of that and really is everything in those lyrics you know sweet transvestite from uh, transylvania i mean that's who he is he is one of the most out there crazy people i've ever known and i absolutely love him to death and i'm still in touch with him to this day after 20 years he now lives in new zealand and um He's just a, uh, he's a wild man. I love him. <laughs> he also was a huge fan of Vincent Price movies and so knew exactly what we were doing. I mean, it was absolutely, again, just the perfect, perfect thing. Because we had originally tried to get Christopher Lee, who, whose age, I don't even think Christopher Lee saw it. His agent just said, oh, no, he doesn't do those kinds of films anymore. <laughs> and we're like, oh, God, you know, damn it. Uh, but... You know, uh, as, as much as I adore Christopher Lee, you know, I'm not sure he would have really gotten the humor, the, the, the irreverent humor of it as much as, as Richard O'Brien obviously did. We also tried to get Mick Jagger. We tried to get Richard Chamberlain, who's a really good friend of Cassandra's. They did um, the Quatermain movie together back in the 80s. And um but it ended up being the perfect person to do it. I mean, we, it was just a blessing in disguise that those other people weren't available or, or turned it down because Richard was just absolutely perfect. He is in the movie. He really is. I will say this. It took him a minute. He, do, you know, Elvira, especially 20 years ago, was not, she was still an American phenomenon, not all that well known in Europe and, and around the world as much. Now I think she is. But Richard, you know, I don't think he was as familiar with her and, and her style of humor. And in the scene where she's, when Dr. Bradley Bradley is, held, is going upstairs showing her all of the uh, portraits of the family. And her heel gets caught in the in the crack in the stairs, and she almost falls. And she says something like, um, "You know, gosh, have you ever heard of spackle?" <laughs> you know, Richard O'Brien was on the set, and he was like, "Darling, spackle was not created and, and invented until yeah. much later, not in 1851." And and she was like, um, "Yeah, but the Elvira character sort of." She's timeless. She's timeless. And she, you know, she goes for these sort of uh, anachronistic jokes. I mean, earlier in the scene was the line about where Dr. Bradley Bradley goes, well, the village people think this house is haunted. And (laughs) and she goes, ah, who listens to the village people anymore? Yeah. (laughs) But Richard finally started to understand, you know, what that was all about. And uh, and then and then everything was cool. I'm but surprised was, he struggled with it. It took him a minute. <laughs> I'm surprised he struggled with it because in my opinion, Elvira has a lot of elements of like Monty Python in the yeah. way she would make those anachronistic jokes, those those yes. kind of like, this doesn't fit here. That's very yeah. Monty Python to me. I would have thought that Richard O'Brien would have been like all aboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then he was, and then he totally got it. But I think, you know, in terms of his own preparation for his character, for his own character, you know, he was very much getting into the period vibe of it and 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 i think just anything like that sort of like startled him (laughs) until he understood what 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 her whole deal was all about (laughs) yeah did you ever find it intimidating or challenging to direct someone who was such a a well-known director at the time 
Well, the, you know, I mean, first of all, Cassandra, you know, it wasn't like I was going to direct her how to play Elvira. She'd been playing Elvira for right. 20 years at that point. And so it wasn't about directing her. It was just about trying to enhance gags or, you know, visually, you know, figure out how to how to make things even even funnier with what was around. Like I found that that the the um the magnifying glass that was on a stand that we put into the the pit and the pendulum thing. I just found that in the in the you know in the set dressing room or whatever. And I'm like, oh God, well, I can make use of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, things like that. And the same thing with Richard O'Brien. I mean, I he was so specific as to how he wanted to play it. I, you know, I could tell immediately that I wasn't going to really be able to to change the kind of performance he would give. I was just there to support him and make everything funnier and um, visually cool around him because I, I just, you know, like bowing down, I am not worthy. You know, <laughs> it's just, he, he was perfect. He certainly didn't need my direction, but in, I mean, in terms of like figuring out the anachronistic thing with Elvira, you know, those things required some, some discussions and, um, but once he, you know, once he, I mean, and that was probably his first day of shooting or something, you know, I mean, it, you know, once he got on board with, with the tone of each character's humor and everything, it was just smooth sailing. I mean, he was, you know, just brilliant. It's clear in his performance that he knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. Do you, no, absolutely. Uh, we we do have to go soon, unfortunately. But before we <laughs> go, I wanted to ask. Obviously, this is a, a beloved film, not only for the people like us who are just big fans, but for people like you who made it. Do you have a favorite memory from shooting that movie that you're like, oh, this is like, this it, it, this is my treasured moment from working on this film. Oh, wow. God, that's really hard. I mean, it, it, it's all of them, really. But one thing that just pops into my mind, um, another film that I worshipped since it first came out. I mean, I'm old enough to have seen it in the theater in 1967 when it opened was The Fearless Vampire Killers. And I, uh, my dad owned movie theaters and, and I was able to get the three sheet, the gigantic three sheet poster of that. The, there are two styles. This is the full color, beautiful one with Sharon Tate in the bubble bath with Bertie Main coming down on her. And then there's the Frank Frazetta cartoon of the chase scene underneath it. And I had that over my bed and I worshiped, you know, Sharon Tate. And, and when she died, you know, tragically um, murdered from Charles Manson's family uh, two years later, I remember opening the newspaper in the driveway and bursting into tears and my mother coming out and going, what's going on and what happened? And I'm like, Sharon Day was murdered. And she was like, who is that? You know, <laughs> and I'm just so furious that she didn't know who she was and ran into my room and slammed the door. And, and Cassandra was also a huge, huge fan of the Fearless Vampire Killers, especially because Sharon Tate had red hair in that movie and Cassandra has red hair in real life and she identified with that. And so we also have that as this little kind of thing from our childhood that we, that we absolutely loved. So 
in Elvira's Haunted Hills, we have a bubble bath theme, which is our little tribute to the, the bubble bath that Sharon Tate does in the Fearless Vampire Killers. And so mm-hmm. that was very meaningful to both of us to have that little moment. And she's playing with the with the boat, <laughs> you know, doing silly stuff. But um, and you know, Cassandra has been very open in her book. So I'm not telling tales out of school um, about the fact that she was scarred when she was when she was a tiny child with um, a pot of boiling pot of water and stuff. Right. And right. so she does have scars on her back and shoulders and, 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 uh, and she's very self-conscious about that. And so in that scene, it was, she was a very vulnerable moment for her because she was, she was not as covered up as she is with the, with the Elvira, you know, outfit, which is designed to cover, you know, much of that scarring. Which is so funny because I've never heard that dress described as, Covered up. Covering up anything. I know. <laughs> yes, it's always supposed to But it was very cleverly designed. Um, but at any rate, you know, we very carefully um, made sure that the bubbles from the bubble bath would cover, you know, anything that she didn't particularly want to have seen there. And um, and so it was vulnerable. It, it, I just remember it as a, as a really special moment in so many ways, but also vulnerable and brave of her to do that and you know and and even though you kind of have a closed set and everything at the same time you know she's she's revealing you know these these things that are difficult for her to, to crew members and everything i was just really proud of her that day and it it, 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 it is a really meaningful moment in the film for us I, I love that scene. It's funny, obviously, because she's talking about grabbing people's booty. <laughs> but it is just a, a really... And even when she breaks the third wall and she's like, hey, do you want to ruin the rating on this movie? And, and she points and the camera has to turn away while she gets out of the tub. It's a wonderful yeah. moment. I love, love, love the movie. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about it today. Uh, oh, happy I, I'm curious, if you're a big fan of the Fearless Vampire Hunters... Uh, have you ever seen Dance of the Vampires? Well, the play, you mean? The musical, or? yeah. No, and I so would want to. I do, I have heard the music. Uh, you know, I got the CD, and but I have not seen it. I wish I could. I'm going to do I... you a favor. There is a bootleg version of the musical. Whoa. I'm going oh to send God. it to you, and this is going Please. to be the rest of your day. <laughs> oh my God, that I would love, I would love, love, love that. No, I love that movie so much. And, you know, as a closeted gay boy, I mean, look, and it opened in, in 1967, I was 11 years old, and I was just absolutely mesmerized by the gay son vampire um, in that scene. And I mean, just there were so many things about that movie that just absolutely blew me away. Yeah, The Fearless yeah. Vampire Killers is an amazing movie. It's everyone should go watch it. It's phenomenal. It is. A, a cult classic, cult classic yeah. easily. Sam, thank yeah. you so, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we hope that maybe we'll see your name on another Elvira production in the not so distant future. Oh, gosh, wouldn't that be fabulous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where can people watch Haunted, Haunted Hills is being re-released on Blu-ray now, right? Yes, it's uh, it just came out on Blu-ray from Shout Factory in this gorgeous edition. Uh, it has a slip cover. Um, it's got tons of extras. 
And we and Cassandra and I shot a new introduction. It's a just a comic introduction of her introducing the movie as Elvira in front of her red couch. And we shot that just a couple months ago for especially for this Blu-ray. And she and I co-wrote it. It's like a little five-minute thing. And um and uh so it's it's really, really special. You've got to get it. And I also interviewed her for the Dark Side magazine, issue number two twenty-two, which is has the highest uh readership of any horror magazine in the world. It has five hundred thousand readers monthly. It, it comes out of the UK, but it will be in all Barnes and Noble stores. They carry it regularly. It'll be in those stores in November. It's already available now if you get it directly from the UK, from the publisher. And if you can't wait, um, you can also order it in the US from Dark Delicacies, which is a great horror store in Burbank, California. And they have a website, um, an online store. And I've signed all of their, their copies that they're selling. That's Thank you so, so much, Sam. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Loved it. Thank you, Pissy. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> Did I lie? Isn't he the sweetest guy? <laughs> no, no, no. He was he was great. He is the sweetest guy. So super nice and uh, the easiest interview in the world. <laughs> Happy to chat. I. Uh, it's always a joy to get to talk with people like that because when you love, when you love a movie as much as I, as we love. Elvira's Haunted Hills, to be able to chat with someone who was directly involved in making it, it's it's just so much fun. And to learn all the backstories. I mean, I I had written down the question, how did you become involved in, yeah. in making this movie? And literally without any, any prompting, prompting yeah. uh, Sam was just like, I met Elvira at a party for, for Terry or Terry's party. And uh, and she was like, uh, "You have to come direct my movie. I loved, I loved, uh, I loved your movie." So it's like these stories are insane. I can't imagine meeting Elvira at a party. Yeah, I imagine that must be an experience. It must be an insane experience. I loved uh, his his stories ab- about his childhood. I loved the story about his his mom not knowing who Sharon Tate was. <laughs> And getting so much insight on the movie, it was like when I happened to have read the IMDb, so I knew that the actor, uh, the Romanian actor who played, uh, what's his name? The the sexy stable boy. Oh, um, I, I can't remember his name shit. off the top of my head. Um, I just said it like 10 times. I know. <laughs> I, and uh, God help me, I can't remember it. But I, I, I knew that he didn't speak English and so he had been dubbed. But it, it is probably one of the funnier parts of of the movie it's a great bit and it never gets old um the pit and the pendulum part is probably my favorite part of the movie so uh i love i love that she uh she breaks out by stretching the rope out with her boobs so the the (laughs) pen the pendulum will cut it it it's super camp super funny if you haven't watched it it's you can rent it on amazon prime it's three dollars and it is worth every every penny and it's halloween it's halloween go watch an elvira movie if you haven't seen it watch elvira's haunted hills and especially if you haven't seen it you should watch elvira mistress of the the dark Dark, it is a phenomenal phenomenal movie it is a cult sensation and you know what else is a cult sensation or i should say who else is a cult sensation who 
Elvira herself. Isn't she? She is a cult sensation. So I thought maybe it would be fun if we had a chat with Elvira herself. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> I I think we should sit down and chat with the Mistress of the Dark herself. I think we should too. All right. Well, then in that case, you guys should enjoy our fucking interview <laughs> with Cassandra Peterson, also known as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I can't even contain my excitement saying those words. Have at it. Enjoy. Here we go. Hello, hello, listeners. I am going to say some words I never thought I'd get to say. These are amazing words. We are so happy to be chatting with the one and only, the funny, the fabulous, the endlessly entertaining star of Elvira's movie Macabre, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Elvira's Haunted Hills, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, All About Evil, which you may remember from our interview with Peaches Christ, and the new Elvira's 40th anniversary, very scary, very special, special, now streaming on Shudder, the one and only Cassandra Peterson, who you most definitely know as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Cassandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my God. Thank you. Wow, what an intro. That was awesome. Thank you. We do our best here at My Spooky Gay Family to <laughs> really highlight every single thing you've ever done in your career. <laughs> well, you How's your day going job. so far? Thank you so much. Fantastic. I've just been doing interviews since this morning. I'm like, I, I hope I make sense by the time I'm talking to you here. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> your brains are turning to mush. I know the feeling. Um, <laughs> we, it, it, it is such a joy to have you joining us today. We obviously love horror movies and you do too. Um, you got your start in, in your career doing uh, so many different things from being uh, a Las Vegas showgirl. <laughs> and and then you went on, obviously, to host Elvira's uh, movie Macabre. Are you, do you still consider yourself a fan of horror today? Oh, yeah, I definitely am. Um, you know, I, I don't see a ton of the uh, horror movies that come out now, partially for because of time constraints. I know that sounds ridiculous, but... <laughs> I have watched so many horror movies over my life. I think I've got a little bit of burnout, but I do see ones that when they when they come out and people tell me they're especially good, I try to try to catch those. So I'm, but I'm a fan of horror movies all the time and of horror. I uh, I'm, I'm so <clears throat> sit down and watch Twilight Zone when I need to, like you know, just calm down from a crazy day. My favorite thing is to watch old episodes of Twilight Zone. Oh, I love that. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, my God. I have so many that I love. I I just freaked out a little bit, but it's not exactly my favorite. But this one about this woman's in her apartment in New York, and, and it's getting hotter and hotter out. I thought, oh, my God, it's climate change. Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a really creepy one. It's true. Think, Whoever would have thought it would it would be so frightfully true. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god. Uh, well, yeah, I just love that. And what? Okay, was it Outer Limits or was it Twilight Zone? You guys tell me. You're the spooky family. The one where that um, the little girl had the doll that said, "My name is Talking Tina, and I'm going to kill you." <laughs> uh, that you was Twilight that? Zone, I believe. Yeah, that oh, was definitely Twilight god. Zone. Okay. 
All right, because I used to watch Outer Limits too. Oh, I love that one. That episode always <laughs> reminded me a little bit of Trilogy of Terror. The um, that amazing mm-hmm. uh, movie from the seventies. It is oh, one God, of my favorites that with that Mine crazy too. doll. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. No, I love Trilogy of Terror. That was such a great movie. And do you speak- have good taste in movies. So we do what we can. We have a very eclectic taste here at my spooky gay family. We love slashers. We love spooks. We love uh, ghosts and goblins, all kinds of stuff. We're actually most excited because uh, the new Halloween Kills is coming out in just a few days. And we're, we already have our tickets. We're going to go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys are really ready for it. Okay. Well, you picked a really good name for your show. <laughs> we, uh, we hopefully nailed it. Hopefully. <laughs> I think so. So, uh, speaking of uh, crazy dolls, we uh, just finished reading your amazing book. It is called Yours Cruelly, Elvira, Memoirs of the Mistress of the Dark. It just came out this year in 2021. And I have to say, it's a a really great read, a really fun read for all of our listeners who are uh, thinking about buying. Absolutely go do it. And if you do it, do it the way I did it. I listened to the audiobook. It, it, it makes it so much better to hear it in your voice, in my opinion. Was it? Did you enjoy getting to record the book? Oh, my God. I don't know if enjoy is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. It was damn hard. I have new respect for anybody who uh, records a book, man, and audio on audio. It was just, um, I mean, you would say one sentence and they'd go, Oh, you popped a P. Can you go back and do that again? And you do it again. They go, Oh, you had a sibilant S. Could you do it again? And then you say the sentence again. And they go, Oh, you, I mean, it just went on and on. I like, like for every single sentence. It was grueling. So grueling. The book is about, if you listen to the audiobook, it's about 10 hours long, but it took 600 hours to record, apparently. Yeah, exactly. It really did. Oh my God, You're like, we so started cool. recording in 1978, and uh, we just <laughs> finished last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I we, did. No, I was there for a week, like about eight hours a day, and it was my some goodness. long hours. Well, I will tell you, the hard work paid off, Cassandra, because it is an amazing, amazing book. It It is not... It, it, it's a very like reasonably sized book. It doesn't skimp. It is not is not like a frills and, and whatever book. It is chock full of tons of awesome stories. One of the things I, I said about this story or about the book is that um, in one ch- in about one chapter of your memoirs, you tell more spectacular stories than most people would have in their entire lives. <laughs> When you were writing, yeah, I sort of feel like the cat with nine lives. Yeah, I, I was. I, well, that was going to be my question. I was like, when you were writing this book, did it ever strike you how extraordinary your life has been so far? It did a few times. I had to think to myself, did that really happen? That is so weird. <laughs> I, I, I have people that will back up my stories, so that's good, right? But oh, um, we trust you implicitly. Yeah, no. I, I kept thinking, who will back up the story? Yes, I have friends and, and, and people who know me that will definitely back up these stories. But um, yeah, it struck me a lot of times how weird it is. And, and through my whole life, I, I write in the book that if I had a nickel for every time someone told me I have to write my life story, that I would be like fabulously wealthy now. I'd be living like Kim Kardashian, not like 
you know, <laughs> whatever I'm living in. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it, it was, it was, uh, it did strike me as this has got to be pretty bizarre. And um, yeah, I think people will read it and think it's pretty damn strange too. It is strange, but it's also like, Bizarre, bizarrely, like endearing. Every story, no matter oh, how you. crazy, it's like it's like. Oh, of course, this would have happened because look how look at how she has set herself up for this amazing life. I I personally, I won't give anything away about the story, but you tell a story about um, a gentleman you were with at one point whose name was Bill in a in a treehouse in the Hollywood Hills. And yeah, I can't believe you mentioned that. I, I'm waiting for someone to bring that up. Nobody really <laughs> talks about that. It's like it's just normal to live in a tree. I mean, I know. I did not believe it when I read it. <laughs> oh my God. I, you're the first people to finally bring it up. That is a miracle. Okay. Because I, I thought that was even... a really bizarre part, right? It was. <laughs> One of those things where, like, I was listening to the audiobook. I was on my way to a show because I'm a drag queen. I perform in New York City. I was on oh, my way so to a I. show. <laughs> I was on my way to a show in the car and it was playing and I had to like rewind because I was like did I hear that correctly I was like am I am I understanding that she lived in a tree with a man named Bill who had a gun arsenal am I understanding this correctly <laughs> and you also uh did you see that he he's a very you should uh, look him up online his, his name was Stoner and he worked for Colt Models yeah really? so oh yeah that's he was uh that's pretty crazy. You'll find some interesting uh, pictures of him on there. Oh, uh, <laughs> consider that the thing I will be doing ex- <laughs> a- a- after immediately. immediately after we are done here. I will be looking up Stoner for cult models. Um, Stoner. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, what a phenomenal story. Well, thank you. I, I yeah, I, I um, living in a tree was, and it was on Hollywood Boulevard. That's the bizarre part. But, Hollywood Boulevard winds up into the mountains, you know, uh, I mean, up yeah. into the hills here in L.A. And so it was still Hollywood Boulevard, but it was up in the hills. And uh, we had a little porta potty that Bill would take to the dump every few days. And we got our water from a hose from the neighbor. We just kind of stole it, you know. But the rent <laughs> price was right. Uh, we didn't have to pay any rent. So that part was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I could imagine. And you talked about going on auditions while you were living <laughs> in the tree. And you were like, getting up and down the rope ladder was a bit of a challenge in a, in a tight skirt and heels. <laughs> oh, it was. I was like, I could, I could not imagine. I could not imagine. I became really good at it after a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have I, you I mean, tried it, going I, up a rope ladder in heels any, recently? I couldn't even go up a rope ladder in, in uh, Nike running shoes right now, I don't think. <laughs> To be fair, I don't think I could either. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, this book, that is like just, it's like one sprinkle on a cake that is just covered in sprinkles. This book is filled (laughs) with amazing stories like that. And we loved it so much. But one of the things we also loved is how um, vulnerable and sincere your story is. I I really have to commend you. I I think it was very brave to have written some of the things that you wrote in in the mm, book. I, I can't imagine being that vulnerable uh, in front of people. Well, was that a challenge for you? I, I don't, I'm thinking to myself, brave or stupid? Hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would go with that. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I don't know. I just plan, you know, when 
when I decided I was going to talk about my personal life, which I never really have, I decided I was going to pull out all the stops. You know, why not? I'm mm-hmm. uh, just turned 70 years old. I'm like, when am I going to talk about this stuff? Or am I going to keep a, everything a secret for the rest of my life? And I didn't really want to do that because, you know, I just spoke to, uh, well, I saw an interview uh, of Danny Trejo, who is a friend of mine. And mm. he was talking about, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I mm. and it really makes sense to me because kind of living a lie, it's not good for your health. It's not good for your soul. It, I, I really think so many people are so involved in keeping secrets, especially when it comes to their family or their relationships. And it really isn't healthy for you or for, for anyone else involved. Um, so I'm here to tell you to let all your secrets out. <laughs> you know, go crazy. I mean, that's what I decided to do. And I go, what, what are the repercussions going to be? Okay, some people might not like me. T- tough titties, that's their problem. I mean, I'm, I'm beyond caring if they like me or not. I, I have my gig. I do Elvira. I make a nice living at it. I'm happy to let people know about what I'm doing now because it really won't impact me. I don't think in a exactly. negative way. Exactly, it's n- it's none of your business what other people think of you. I I think that's Stay probably right. some of the best advice people could learn. Um, yeah. One of the things I loved so much uh, about your story is n- obviously this is my spooky gay family. And right. you came out as queer in your book, which was, I think you blew everyone's minds. <laughs> we, we, the things we had been secretly hoping for our entire lives, you were like, guess what? It's true. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I went back and forth thinking, you know, I have so many gay fans and, and I was really worried that they would just see me as a big hypocrite, you know? Um, oh yeah, you hang around all the gay people, but then in the meanwhile, you're keeping your relationship a secret. I was, I was worried about that, but I am so thrilled and happy that, that the gay community has totally, totally embraced me and my partner and that situation. And I think they understand it because I think probably many gay people have been in similar situation at some point in their life where they were afraid to come out for whatever reason, you know? Absolutely. And I actually think that's part of what makes your story so amazing is we talk so much about queer youth, as we should, because there are a lot of challenges that face queer youth. But a lot of times I feel like uh, adults in the queer community, people who choose to come out in, in adulthood, often get kind of lost in the conversation. And I thought it was really wonderful to have this conversation about how it doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 60 or or 30. When you come out, it's your choice. It's your choice to yeah. come out when you're comfortable and when you're ready. Um, exactly. Do you have when any, the timing ad- is right. Exactly. Do you have any advice for any of our adult listeners who may be grappling with the idea of coming out? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say it, uh, you, you know, I, well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you a, a, a weird story. My I had to tell my mom at one point, and you know, here I am, like fifty years old, <laughs> telling my mom, who's like in her seventies, and I had to tell her because she was coming to live um, in my town. I was, she was <laughs> getting ill; she had health issues, so I mm. flew her from Florida to California, and I was living at that time in a very tiny town right outside of L.A., and um, you know, 
I know when she got to the town, she was going to see that I live in a house with uh, my partner, T. And she knew T, but she knew her as my assistant. So mm. I had to build up the courage to tell her, uh, Mother, I am living in a relationship with a woman, you know, and I couldn't do it and couldn't. I was at her place for like a week. I could not bring myself to do it. So I was losing sleep. I mean, every night I was tossing and turning. I was like, oh, my God, what is she going to do? What is she going to say? Maybe this will be the end of the relationship. Blah, blah, blah. And um, on the way to the airport, that's when I finally did when I was going back, <laughs> back to L.A. On the way to the airport, I said, uh, Mother, you know, you know my friend T? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, she and I are more than just friends. Uh, we're in a relationship. And she said, well, I know that. What do you think I am, an idiot? <laughs> and that, that was the end of that she was fine with totally fine with it didn't blink an eye that's great. so, that's so beautiful what I, what I was saying is that maybe um a lot of people might be thinking that the reaction that they're going to get is a lot worse than the one they actually get um i mean of course there could also be the opposite could happen exactly yeah i would keep in mind that 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 very likely well, the people who love you, if they really love you, they're still going to love you. And if their love is based on something else and not really you, uh, they're not going to love you and you didn't need the damn love anyway. Exactly. And I think, it, first of all, that's a great story. And in my experience, it actually happens a lot more than I think people expect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so I, too. And I also think it's important to remember that if you don't have that story, if you if you aren't one of the people who are fortunate enough to have that story, you you do have a huge, vibrant community who is here to love you anyway. So and I think that's yeah. the best takeaway from your experiences. Even you said having been a part of the queer community for so long, even if it was just as an ally, you were nervous to come out, but the second you came out, everyone was ready to, to, with open arms, to love you and to and to have you here. And they I really think it's the I, same for anyone. I, I do too. And you know, you know, a, a little a side note about that is that I did lose eleven thousand followers on one of my social media uh, really? platforms. Really? Yeah, but guess what? On the same one, I gained sixty thousand new followers. <laughs> so, nanner, nanner, nanner. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Yeah. We don't need them. Yeah, em. I know. And it was so funny. Most of the guys were like, uh, they were, they were like, uh, oh, great, Elvira. You know, uh, I mean, I guess they had plans to be with me. You know, at some point we were going to hook up. <laughs> so and, they were and it's like that wasn't going to happen out. anyway. Uh, yeah, exactly. They were kind of living in a fantasy land there anyway, so they were upset that I, you know, now, cheated on them, and it was really sad. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to let them just deal with that on their own. That's their yeah. business. We are here to enjoy. That, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We are here to have a conversation that is much bigger than them. And if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about something that is probably the most important thing we are going to ask you about on this episode. Totally. Um, you if I'm not mistaken, lived in a haunted house. Is that correct? I did. Uh, that's what I call it. And I'm not kidding. I didn't make that up for the book. 
Um, it it was, as far as I know, really haunted. I never had that situation any other place I've ever lived before or since. It was only that house, and it was nonstop. How crazy. Do you have any stories you can tell? Yeah, I, of course, they're in the book. But um, yeah, there are mm-hmm. stories about uh, when I moved into this house, it was called Briarcliff Manor. And um, that sounds haunted. From the yeah. very, <laughs> yeah, perfect, right? And from the first day I moved in, I mean, while we were moving in, I ran upstairs. There were three floors, and I ran to the second floor. I had specifically told the movers, please do not put anything on the third floor because we didn't know what we were going to do with that space up there. And I'm on the second floor putting things, uh, taking things out of boxes. And I hear this footsteps, very heavy footsteps going across the third floor, just clomp, 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 clomp. And not only did I hear them, but I could look up at the ceiling and see like a little vibration with them. And it was clearly footsteps. And I just put my box down. I run up the little stairway yelling, you know, hey, you guys, I I don't want anybody up here, please. I I asked you not to bring anything. When I got to the top floor, there was nobody there. And it was easy to see because the room was just one big room surrounded by windows. There was no no furniture, no place to hide. And uh, that was the moment it started. The second we moved in and it did not (laughs) let up. It just kept, things kept moving around. Doors kept opening. Doors kept slamming. Um, I started seeing people, seeing different people. I, I, I named them. I, I described them more in the, in the book. Those are kind of long stories. And um, other things happened, like a big black shadow that was always floating around the bottom of the pool, which had built, oh been God. built in 1921. And um, it just went on and on. And it got to a point where I, I told my husband, I have to get the hell out of here. I, I can't live here anymore. This is making me insane. And we finally hired um, a shaman, a Native American shaman, and, and a priest to come and do an exorcist and a cleansing. And everything oh settled down. And I have found, um, before that happened, we did a bunch of research and found out that there had been... Uh, three untimely deaths there, two uh, murders and a suicide in that house. And um, so I think it was, you know, I don't know, the spirits of those people may be hanging around trying to get out of there, but didn't know how. It could be that, or it could just be that they were fans and they were like, oh my God, you'll (laughs) never guess who moved in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're lucky now because I sold my house to Brad Pitt. So they're on top of the world. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, he has to deal with that now. <laughs> You're like, it's all you, Brad. Good luck. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my goodness, disembodied footsteps are probably the scariest thing in the world to me. It's like what I have nightmares about. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, well, I tell you, no. I'm not a person that scares easily, but it after, after a while, it just started to get like, I, I thought I was going nuts. I really did. Well, I'm I'm hopeful that you haven't been having that experience recently. <laughs> I have not. No more since then. No. And you know Thank what? I goodness. hate to do this so much, you guys, but I have to move on to my next yeah. interview. I'm sorry to cut uh, this uh, off because uh, I'm having so much fun. What could be better? Not a Spooky problem at all. Gay. The best parts <laughs> of life. Thank you so much, Cassandra, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. 
Thank you guys. That was really fun. And I, it's it really was weird. I just got to ask you, where'd you get the name Pissy? Uh, so <laughs> it was actually an <laughs> argument between my husband and I, uh, he he kept like shooting down every name I had and at every name I'd come up with. And a friend of mine was producing a show with Missy Pyle. And so uh, <laughs> we got in a fight about Christmas music. And and so I had Missy Pyle on the brain and I just reversed the letters. And he's, he said something to me and I was like, you know what? You're turning me into pissy miles in a minute. And it just stuck. That's where, <laughs> that's where it came from. <laughs> oh, my God. So don't get pissy with me. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so Sam. so much, Cassandra. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, anytime you'd like to come back, we're happy to have you. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to keep your name for sure. I'm going to keep your info. Please do enjoy the rest of your day, and congratulations on your amazing book. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Bye. 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 I'm still like in shock that we got to talk to Cassandra Peterson. I'm having a faneurism. It's a faneurism. <laughs> like, like I spent that entire time just like quietly, quietly like melting on the inside. Just like this isn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, and here's the thing. I mean, I've, I've obviously worked, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of really famous people and I don't get starstruck really. Um, but Elvira is like a childhood idol. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so she's my Vincent Price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way Sam Irving and, and Elvira talked about Vincent Price and funny enough, both brought up the fearless vampire killers yeah. separate <laughs> in totally separate interviews, by the way. Um, I, uh, it, it really was such a special moment to be like, Oh my God, we're talking to Elvira. And, and, I I wouldn't I wasn't nervous. I I don't really get nervous talking to celebrities, but there is like a gravitas. It's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, how awesome is this?" And the only thing that makes it better when you get to do something like that is when they are as smart and funny and kind and receptive as Cassandra Peterson. Yeah, she's just I, perfectly lovely. Perfectly lovely, like the most amazing person a really wonderful interview and she's so smart and and interesting and funny it's like there's never a dull moment when you're talking to someone like Cassandra Peterson it is again uh, she's she has that Sam Irvin quality where it's like I don't really need to say anything you're happy just to tell me everything and I love that about her she's just such a an icon and we're so happy to have her as part of the community now yeah. it really when I, I i had originally heard that she had been nervous to come out because she thought that people wouldn't uh appreciate her having stayed in the closet i i read that in an article a, a while back and i remember being so sad by that it's like don't ever like you don't owe anyone anything you don't owe anyone your coming out story. It is yours to do with it what you what you are comfortable with. It's your life. You we do not own it. We don't own you. We don't own your life. We don't own your story. So if you know someone you who is an adult or who is later in life who has not come out but you suspect they might 
be on on the queer spectrum give them their time and just let the important thing is to let them know that they have a safe space to come into and i i'm i'm so glad that that was the experience she had i am too and i can't i can't imagine our community being unkind in a or unreceptive like that. well like i, I, I like to think, think that but you know i've heard a lot of stories even you know with queen latifah there, i don't know if she has ever come out or if it's all speculation mm-hmm. but i've heard people say like oh i'm i'm surprised it's it's kind of stupid that she hasn't come out. You know, we could really use the representation. It's like, but it's her life. It's not, you know, to you, it's political, but to her, it's her life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so these are people's lives and, and we don't have the right to make demands of them in their lives. Their mm-hmm. life is their life and what's comfortable for them is comfortable for them. And I don't think we should ever have a say in that. Um, that said, when people do choose to come out later in life, I think it's important to celebrate them. And I'm so glad that we could do that for Elvira. I'm so glad that we could uh, give her a, a, such a warm <laughs> welcome to the party. <laughs> it's like I, the the idea of her losing 11,000 followers because of that yeah, seriously. really pissed me off, but it gives you hope because then she got 60, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and that is, that is a beautiful thing. And maybe her coming out was something that introduced younger queer fans to Elvira. Maybe yeah. this will be the thing that leads them to El- Elvira, Mistress of the Dark or Elvira's Haunted Hills or the movie Macabre, which by the way is on Peacock. Is it? The original Elvira's Macabre, not all of them, obviously, right. but selected episodes are on the Peacock app. Okay. They're under the Peacocktober <laughs> section. <laughs> uh, I did watch a few episodes the other day with David. It was a lot of fun because it's like early Elvira. Yeah. She even looks different. It's like, it's weird. But um, <laughs> I I just, I, I don't have enough nice things to say about about Elvira and about Cassandra Peterson. It was such a joy getting to chat with her and getting to hear the ghost stories was phenomenal. I had heard uh, them obviously because I read the book. She talks a bit about them and there are other stories in the book that you all can, can listen to if you read the book or I really can't stress this enough. It's a lot of fun to listen to the audiobook. It is available on audible I really recommend that you go out and and get a copy and A, support queer artists and B, really enjoy this book because the stories she tells are just insane. Like they're, it's crazy. It's bizarre to me that one person can have that interesting a life. It, like, she really is like, <laughs> she's the Dos Equis woman. Like seriously. <laughs> like I remember when I was reading through it and I'm I'm sitting there going like, that can't possibly have happened to you. And flipping and going, that can't possibly have happened. To I know. You. And by the end of the book, you're like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe one person came out of the other side of all of that and are this awesome. Yeah. And then on top of it, it's still going. It's still working. It's still being Elvira. is still entertaining people. It's like, 
I just, I, I, my heart is, is full blossom. So (laughs) my recommendation to all of you, and I cannot stress this enough, is that you should go out today and get a copy or the audiobook version of yours cruelly, Elvira, Memoirs of the Mistress of the Dark. It just came out. It is a phenomenal book and I recommend it to everyone. I, 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 and I will do it again. (laughs) <laughs> we are not being paid to promote this book. We just really loved it and obviously love everything that Elvira is and are just so thrilled that we were able to interview her for our very special Halloween episode this this year. Uh, so I think we've come to the close of the Halloween episode, Sam, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the 13 weeks of Halloween. This is the end of the 13 weeks of Halloween, at least for 2021. So... We hope that you guys really enjoyed this episode. I hope that we were able to live up to your expectations. We set some high expectations. <laughs> yeah, we hyped this one a bit. for this for this week and this episode and even uh, what was coming earlier in the week. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and with Sam Irvin, the director of Elvira's Haunted Hills. We really had a wonderful time and. We will be back next week with another mini, mini microsode on Patreon and a brand new episode wherever you are listening. So please enjoy your Halloween. Let us know what you're doing. Send us all of the photos. We really do love it. And we will share uh, photos of, of people's costumes and pets costumes because that is a very important part of the plan. Um, and... If you're having a party, if you've made decorations, if you created a haunt, we want to see the photos. So please send them to us on social media or at SpookyGayFam at gmail.com. And that's it. We hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful Halloween and we will see you on the other side. And there might be some jingle bells there. (laughs) (laughs) So until the jingle bells, stay spoopy and remember. I was asked to play with the entire band I had them all right in my hand The pianist confessed to me There was a horse in his family tree My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Alon, and this episode contains clips from Elvira's Haunted Hills, available on Blu-ray October 5th, 2021. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara Duel.